The following program discusses medical information that is general in nature and not intended to serve as medical advice to treat any medical condition in either yourself or others. Please consult your own physician for any medical issues you may be experiencing. Welcome to another episode of Nice Living with Dr. Cameron, a show that's dedicated to health, wellness, and medical-related topics that are on the minds of many folks across the country and even around the world. I'm Amy Bowen, and with me, as always, is the double board-certified general surgeon and philobologist for whom the show is named, Dr. Cameron Godarzi. It's great to be with you again for another show, sir. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Amy. I appreciate it. Now, in this episode, we're going to be talking with our expert guest about some of the top minimally invasive cosmetic procedures in the U.S. And if you listen to the show, he's a familiar voice. Joining us again is board-certified dermatologist, Dr. Jonathan Crane. Thank you for joining us, Dr. Crane. I really appreciate it. Jonathan, I'm really extremely thankful for you to be kind enough to join us on this podcast. Oh, thank you for having me here. I'm honored to be here. All right, gentlemen, let's dive into today's topic. Data from the American Society of Plastic Surgeons indicates that requests for non-surgical cosmetic options, especially for the face, continue to be on the rise with consumers. These requests are not just for those seeking to reverse the visual signs of aging, uh, but they're also coming from those seeking preventative measures, people wanting to address concerns before they even become issues. So I'm curious, Dr. Crane, are you seeing similar trends at your practice in coastal North Carolina? Definitely seeing those trends. And that probably started maybe 12, 13 years ago when the economy took a little bit of a dip. And, and it was interesting because people went from having major facelifts, major procedures, mm-hmm. to all of a sudden saying, you know what, let me let me do little things, little tweaks here and there. Mm-hmm. So it, it's interesting the way a dip in the economy sort of seemed to change the thought process of people, I think for the better. Mm-hmm. So people started doing lots of small things to their skin and then also realizing maybe let's stick more with a natural look mm-hmm. rather than a fake look. So, you know, sometimes you pull everything too tight and it just doesn't look natural. People started doing natural looking tweaks, which I think was a, a big positive. And it, it's funny because the dermatologists had been doing this for years and years. The plastic surgeons who had been doing the bigger procedures they then started getting into these, uh, we'll call them tweaks, and uh, the whole industry has really boomed dramatically. Okay. Well, from your perspective, what do you think it was that really led dermatologists to start embracing offering more and more cosmetic procedures in general? Sure. Even before the year 2000, so if you look back over 20 years, dermatologists were heavily involved with lasers at the time, lasers for hair removal, for skin tightening, for evening out pigmentation and getting rid of superficial facial blood vessels, for example. So we were moving along in this direction quite a bit, and it's kept on advancing, advancing, advancing through the years. They became more specific with lasers. Lasers basically put out a burst of light energy. So if we have blood vessels we want to destroy, certain wavelength, maybe 532, that selectively destroys blood vessels. If you want to remove pigment, use a certain other wavelength uh, laser. If you want to remove hair, it's a different wavelength laser. If you want to treat tattoos, depending upon the color of the tattoo, different wavelengths of laser to go ahead and selectively destroy certain things. So the technology came a long way and became a lot more specific and selective for the exact task that we want to accomplish. You know, I remember in one of our previous episodes, you and Dr. Cameron were discussing how those laser treatments were evolving in the world of vein treatment right around the same time you were seeing those advancements in the field of dermatology. And today, those cosmetic applications of lasers are, in fact, among some of the top minimally invasive cosmetic treatments that are requested today. 
Others include Botox and other neurotoxins like Dysport and Xeomin and dermal fillers, just to name a few. Right. And Dr. Crane, I know you've got a lot of experience with these. So can you walk us through these treatment options? And for anyone interested in getting these treatments, I think your perspective would be very valuable on how effective they are, how long they last, insight on downtime, and if there's any side effects or precautions that people need to keep in mind, especially now during the era of the coronavirus. Right. And Dr. Crane, Dr. Cameron's going to jump in to dig a little deeper with some questions he has for you on these procedures as well. Yep. Botox um, is a purified protein derivative, and it basically relaxes muscles. And there are similar products that you could also use to inject. So basically, Botox, you draw it up in a syringe, and you inject it. And usually, it's for the upper third of the face, and you could inject it to the sides of the eyes, and basically relaxes the muscles there so you get rid of crow's feet. For someone that has the two ones in the center of their forehead or deep forehead crease between the eyes, you go ahead and you relax three muscles in there, and then all of a sudden people can't scrunch in in the middle and look angry, and it takes away that angry look. And each time you inject it, or someone who has a lot of forehead lines, you inject it across the forehead, relaxes those muscles, and then all of a sudden they don't have the forehead lines again. And it often gives the people a much more relaxed appearance and they don't look angry. Some people that naturally look angry or mean or tough because they're constantly scrunching in the center of their forehead or their eyebrows are being pulled together because they're frowning so much. It takes away this angry look because all of a sudden those muscles don't move at all. So works terrific, works for about three months at a time. And most of the time, Botox should be side effect free. If you don't mind me jumping in here, Dr. Cameron, Dr. Crane, I'm curious, in your perspective, is there such a thing as too much? Sure. If too much is injected, let's say you inject too much above the eyebrows and you relax those muscles too much, all of a sudden you're going to get a droopy eyebrow and droopy eyelids and it could make it more difficult to see. And that's a temporary thing, only lasts about three months, but definitely people can get side effects like that. Recently, I was actually talking to a plastic surgeon because, um, you know, when we first went to medicine, plastic surgeons did everything. And now, of course, the dermatologists have taken over and doing an amazing job with it. So this plastic surgeon, friend of mine who does a lot of face, I asked her, you know, about fillers and so on. She said, Cameron, ultimately, when it comes uh, to skin tightening and things like that, we always need help. Mm-hmm. from the dermatologists and, you know, from the fillers and uh, et cetera. So it's, it's become less invasive and you don't have to go to the operating room and you can really achieve a fair amount just by minor touch-ups that you have right. with different gadgets that you guys have and i call botox a, a gadget and, right. and the laser so that's really been fascinating now botox has been around for a long long time but uh, they now there are other products which are also out and uh, if you could kindly let us know uh, what your thoughts are about the newer products if you you think one is better than the other and why we would use one as against the other or because people get confused sometimes when they look at these products and they don't know which one is what and what's the advantage and disadvantage. Sure. Whether it's Botox, Dysport, Xeomin, they're really all very, very similar products and mm-hmm. they all work for about the same length of time. There really aren't any great differences between any of those mm-hmm. uh, products that are out there. So, so far there isn't one neurotoxin where you could say, wow, this one's dramatically better than the rest. They all work about three months. They all work about equivalent. So I'd I'd say as of this point, really no major differences. Sometimes people have their individual preferences, but it's it's like comparing different brands of vanilla ice cream. It's all pretty similar. You you know, you're absolutely right. I mean, once upon a time, if 
you got all the lines you were supposed to have it or one of uh, you know my friends who has this i think called it 11 and not right. on the forehead and he he was so excited he had this injection done he said I'm, I'm more approachable because people were always thought i was angry and i'm not angry that's just how you know i look and you know botox would take it away <laughs> you know at least it's very very treatable it's just that you have to follow up every three months and there's actually three little muscles between the eyebrows that we inject. And those three muscles, all you do is you inject a little bit of the Botox or similar sort of product into it. It relaxes those muscles three months at a clip, and all of a sudden they're relaxed. And friends will say to them, you look well-rested, you look relaxed, you look happy. You know, there's no scar, so they don't see a scar. They just think, hey, you look good. And that's really the ideal compliment that you could get from anybody. Or when you look in a mirror, you look relaxed, you look good. So in a, in a way, not only that you look good, you feel better about yourself, it also gives you more confidence. And, you know, of course, if you're working, you know, more people, uh, you're more approachable, I guess. Now, uh, there are people literally having Botox parties and that kind of thing. Is there some danger in, in doing that, you know? Yeah, I'm, I'm not a big fan of Botox <laughs> parties. And I'd say that the main problem with it, people go, they're in with a group of friends, and all their friends are getting Botox, so they figure they better go get Botox. Mm-hmm. All their friends are getting filler, they better get filler. Your friend's getting uh, four vials of filler, then you want to get four, maybe even five vials of filler so that mm-hmm. you beat out your friend. And it becomes a situation where you're really not doing what's best for you. Mm-hmm. You're going along with the crowd. On top of it, many times at these Botox parties, alcohol is being served. So that impairs your judgment. And I had one patient that came to me and she had gone to a Botox party like that a week prior. She had a bill on her credit card for about $5,000. She didn't even remember what she had done because she was so drunk. And, you know, you you sort of look at that and you think, you know, that's personally not the way I want to practice. I'd, I'd rather have someone come in individually, discuss what's bothering them, and then come up with a game plan for how we could help them address their problems and also discuss the risks and the, and, and, and the expense and everything so they could really figure out is it something that they want, not what their friends are doing. So they'll, I guess it's be because like uh, such a uh, banana has been around for so many years that people think that, you know, everybody can, you know, should do it in their kitchen and so on. So obviously right. that's, that's not what you would recommend for now. Botox right. has been around about, about 30, 40 years. Personally, I've been doing it about 25 years yeah. and I know it was around yeah. before then yeah. uh, probably for at least 10 years mm-hmm. or so. Uh, let me just move on a little bit f- from that. So when you use Botox, it gets to a point where, you know, you've pushed it to the limit and there are some areas you just don't inject Botox. You've got to start putting fillers in it. You're, you guys are like scalping a face, right? So right. Uh, you, you can't use the same thing over and over again. So that's when the fillers come in, correct? Correct. So if you could kindly tell us uh, what fillers are, and then when would you think about using fillers or uh, in conjunction with Botox? Or do you think this is not a place to use Botox, you should use a filler? Sure. Botox, I think of for the upper third of the face okay. because it looks good if you could relax those muscles. But once you start to get down into the lower two-thirds mm-hmm. of the face, mm-hmm. if you inject the cheeks, for example, you'd get droopy cheeks. If you injected the jowls, you'd get worse mm-hmm. jowls. So mm-hmm. around the mouth, if you inject too much into the upper lip, you get a droopy upper lip. There are little spots that we can inject in the lower two-thirds of the face, but in general, Botox is for the upper third. Now, fillers work great, and especially in the cheeks. So what happens, fillers, basically, you put it in and it occupies a space. So what's happened, as we mature in life and age, we start to lose fat. 
So loose fat, let's say over the cheekbones, and all of a sudden we end up droopy where the cheekbones used to be. And if you look at people when they're young, they often have a V-shaped face because the cheekbones are pushing out and there's less fat by the chin and it's more V-shaped. Once they lose that fat over on the cheeks, all of a sudden it's drooping in and they get more of a square-shaped face. So I look at people and I say, how can I make you look 10, 20 years younger, not fake, but just younger. Mm -hmm. And often one great area is right along the cheekbone and the zygomatic arch, which runs just underneath uh, the the lateral edge of the eyes and, Mm -hmm. you know, sort of out a little bit further. So you you put filler in there and the type of filler that we use are more hyaluronic acid-based fillers, which is the same stuff that people have in their joints or knee space, for Mm -hmm. example. Now they don't take it out of people's knees and inject it into the face. Instead, they go ahead, it's made up in a lab and it's injected because it's so natural. It's very, very rare to have allergic reactions to it. And most people do terrific with it. So I look at someone, I say, where have you lost your fat through the years? And where could I give it back to you to make you look like you did 10, 20 years ago? And that's the goal of fillers. Now, earlier we were talking a little bit about COVID and as of January, mid-January 2021, there have been uh, three cases reported of people having, quote, allergic reactions to fillers, feeling it might be related to the COVID vaccine. My thought on is people do have reactions to things in general. So if you look at the amount of people who've had COVID vaccines so far, probably well over a million people, and then all of a sudden there's three filler reactions being reported, these people might have had filler reactions without the COVID vaccine. So it might be no relation whatsoever, mm-hmm. but being that it's been brought up, it's, it's a thought. Now, the other things that people rarely have is something called a biofilm, which is like a bacterial infection going on within the filler. And that occasionally happens. And then you'll get puffiness on one side, puffiness on another area, and you have to treat that with antibiotics. And it seems already as some of the descriptions of what people were talking about with the allergic reactions and some of the photos it may not really even be a, a allergic reaction at all. It might be more a little bit of an infection or a biofilm infection. Yeah, so if there's an infection, you can treat it with antibiotics. If it's an allergic reaction, how do you treat those? If it's an allergic reaction, we could inject steroids into it, like Canalog or triamcinolone, mm-hmm. um, and we inject it right into the area, and then it would calm it down. Or if someone was having a real severe reaction, there's a medication that you could use to dissolve the fillers and you literally go, you inject it over the area and within a couple of days, it's just dissolved away and disappeared and that's it. Fantastic. Glad that there's something there we can treat. But it's very rare, obviously. It, extremely rare. rare. If you said in my career, and, and this is injecting fillers, let's say well over 20 years or so and doing it on a daily basis, mm-hmm. I've probably had about three or four reactions through all the years to it. And when I say reactions, that's allergic and or infection. So, I mean, it's really just a handful of people that have had problems with it. And typically I'll put them on an antibiotic, uh, sometimes inject it with a little steroid solution and it clears on up. So, um, and of course, you know, it's funny you were saying about the looks. I remember, you know, when I was a child, always uh, my mother used to describe a beautiful woman, somebody with high cheekbones. That's it. So you're really essentially creating that. Of course, you could also use it around the lips and and, and other areas. Right. Um, so the, the cheekbones looks terrific. It looks natural. The lips, you have to be careful not to put too much in. And uh, I've had patients come in, huge lips, which were done somewhere else. And then they want me to add more, and I just say, I can't do it. It's, it's going to make you look fake. I just, I just don't want people looking fake. And 
And really, people sometimes get in groups and their friends are all looking fake and they want to look fake also. To me, it's not attractive to look mm-hmm. fake and, and I discourage people from it. Now, uh, a lot of us now into organic and natural and, you know, so there are other, for example, fat transfer. They suck the fat from one area and use it as a filler. What, what, right. are, what are your thoughts about that? Um, fat transfer is a great way of uh, mm-hmm. taking fat from one area, putting it in another area. The only thing with it, it doesn't always survive. And many times the fat that you take from the belly and inject into the cheeks doesn't survive. So because of that, you have to inject a lot more fat cells. And initially, if if you want to do cheeks with fat, you have to pump it up to the point where the people look like chipmunks practically. (laughs) And then a bunch of the fat cells die. And then you hope that enough survives that they get a long lasting effect from it. Transferring fat, it is an option, but also realizing that a lot of those fat cells don't make it through the process. I know we uh, quite a few years ago when we were doing vein uh, harvesting and so on, we were talking about if you have varicose veins, take those veins and mush them up and inject them into the cheek. But that didn't catch on for very long. So what right. are your thoughts about that? Similar, I guess, similar issues. S- right? Similar issues, yeah. yeah. You know, in medicine, we see all these fads from time right. to time. Sure. And, it, and it is funny. And sometimes they take the same thing that they tried 20 years ago They'll put a fancy name on it. They'll make it sound like, you know, cool vein transfer or something, <laughs> the vampire vein, you know, or, or some fancy name and, and make it sound good, make it sound new and innovative. And you see the same things recycle every 20 years or so, but it doesn't seem like it's panned out as much. So let me take you to another area. You did talk about vampire and I know there was this vampire treatment that they get your own blood and they spin it. Tell us a little right. bit more about that. That has been going on for the past few years. Sure. Basically, you draw blood from someone, maybe 50 cc's of blood, and you spin it down. And at the top of it is something called plasma. And plasma is like the clear stuff when you spin down blood. And within this clear stuff, there's platelets. And in the bottom of the clear stuff is the platelet-rich plasma. So the thought is with this platelet-rich plasma, you could inject it into the cheeks and have collagen stimulate and have it grow back to the way it used to be. And unfortunately, it it doesn't really seem to do much for facial lines or for the cheeks. And so initially, they were trying it by itself. And I even tried it, you know, without anything. And I wasn't too impressed. And then doctors started taking that and combining it with fillers. And then you inject both. And then all of a sudden, you see a result. I think really what was happening was you're really seeing the result of the filler way more than you are the platelet-rich plasma. So I stopped doing that for cheekbones and facial lines. But where that platelet-rich plasma really works well is hair growth. And that, I'd say, is one area which is impressive, it's proven. And we have patients, male and female, with thinning hair. And we go ahead and start injecting that platelet-rich plasma initially once a month for about three months, then every three months for about nine months. And then we space it out to every six months for a few treatments, and then just go to once a year. And that could sometimes bring in 30, 40% more hair. That's a legitimate area of the platelet-rich plasma. But for the face and for lines and for cheekbones, I'm unimpressed. So what we're on the subject of the hair growth, is that painful? Does it cause any bleeding? Where do you inject just areas where the hair is thinning? You inject. That's it, exactly. Okay. So we'll draw the blood. Mm-hmm. So it's just like having your blood drawn mm-hmm. anywhere else. So you feel that discomfort. And then once we spin it down, we pull it up into syringes, and we use an extremely small gauge needle, and we inject over the scalp, usually about 30 or 40 injections. But the needle's so small that it's really not that painful at all. Patients are in and out within an hour. The drawing of the blood takes a couple minutes, 
And then the injection part takes a couple of minutes. And then the, the in-between time is where we're spinning it down in a centrifuge to separate the plasma on top from the rest of the components in, in the and Because blood. it is your own tissue, you don't have allergic reaction, you don't have to worry about uh, even infection or anything like Correct. that. So on platelets are you know, good in immunity. So <laughs> t- t- Totally natural, gluten-free. <laughs> yeah, that's fantastic. <laughs> now, you told me you use it on yourself. Did you mean on yourself or you actually gave it to somebody? Uh, I mean, giving it oh, to oh, someone, okay. yeah. yeah. You, you, but, 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 I don't but, think but, you need it. I mean, that is yeah. perfect. So I was just wondering. But, but, but Actually, most of these things that I've mentioned, the, the, this the staff would sometimes come by. So you need a little Botox stand still. <laughs> so, so most of these things that we've mentioned, I've been hit with myself directly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, well, Amy, I think I'm, I'm always so fascinated asking this question. So, do you have any from what we've discussed you'd like to ask, Dr. Crane? These are such great questions, but you know, another one that came to mind for me, gentlemen, is. When is the best time to start having these procedures done? Is it better to head things off before fine lines on the face become deep folds? Or can these treatments work well at any stage? What are your thoughts, Dr. Crane? That's a great question. Some things you want to head off, some things it's not as crucial. Let's say uh, someone has lots of facial lines and rather than starting in at 35 years of age, they jump in at 70 years of age. Question is, you know, should they have been doing it those 35 years? And the reality is we could fix you with Botox at any point along the way. So not crucial. Uh, Fillers, same sort of thing. You know, if if you're losing the fat in your cheeks, we could always go ahead and do fillers later on. No big deal. Now, if you want to keep the collagen in your skin in good shape, something like sunscreen, number one thing, that you should start at a young age because that's really going to prevent a lot of problems. Retin-A you could start in earlier on, and that really keeps your skin in great shape, helps with fine lines, wrinkles, helps keep the pigmentation even. So I'd say sunscreen, number one, retin-A, number two, or some similar sort of product, a vitamin A derivative that you're putting on your skin every night. And those are definitely helpful. If you do have a lot of sun damage, there are other creams like 5-fluorouracil or Effudex is, is the brand name. And you can put that on your face twice a day for two weeks, and it helps get rid of a whole bunch of precancerous spots all at once. So that's a great option. Ideally, you don't create the damage, but if you have created the damage, still could be fixed. If your pigments are all irregular, we have lasers that we could pop away the irregular pigmentation and it looks great. So we're able to fix a lot of things. Sun damage could often trigger blood vessels in the cheeks. If you don't like those blood vessels, we laser them away. So ideally, you hopefully don't get it in the first place by using your sunscreen. But if you do have it, it's still fixable. That's really remarkable. You know, and I think another couple of aspects worth highlighting about all of these we've discussed so far is how easy these procedures can be, meaning that you know, they're really not that invasive and they are accessible in the office setting, yet they're still capable of producing what many would consider to be transformative results. Yeah, this actually reminds me of, you know, once upon a time, only if you were in Hollywood, you would, you know, fillers and Botox and you had to go to Beverly Hill to get it. And then gradually it's caught up, you know, the rest of the country. And uh, I remember mom, as she was getting older, she would always recite this poetry that, You know, you can do anything to pretend that you are young, but ultimately, what are you going to do with your face? And, you know, mom has passed away, and I wish she knew that, no, you can do something with your face. I mean, there is no reason that just because we are aging, we can't look good, right? I mean, for God's sake, we dress well. You know, we do have haircut, and we do, because ultimately, we we like people to like us, to like what they see. And there is no reason... When it comes to your face, you've got to let it go. 
And especially, you know, I mean, as a surgeon, the way I look at it, every decision we make is risk-benefit. And the risks are very minor and benefits are a lot. Uh, I mean, I love my wife and my wife loves me very much. And But ultimately, there's no reason for myself to allow my look to deteriorate just because she loves me. I think it, it, it helps interpersonal relationship. It, it helps you be proud of who you are, uh, to show yourself in public. So I'm so glad that it is getting to a point where uh, even in small towns, people are seeking you know, Botox and fillers and that kind of thing. And there's nothing wrong with that. Well, uh, Dr. Crane, so thankful to you for taking the time. I know for a fact how busy you are. And I call it giving back to the community. Uh, your your knowledge and questions that I'm sure everybody's had and either you don't get an opportunity to ask. It's wonderful you've been here. And again, I really appreciate you give, giving your time. Thank you for having me here. I, I love it. I think it's great. Likewise. Thank you so much again, Dr. Crane. Thank you. I really appreciate it. This is the Nice Living with Dr. Cameron podcast. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode and think others could benefit from listening, please share it. We invite you to visit scarlessveincare.com forward slash podcast to view show notes, learn more about our guest, and listen to previous episodes. You can also find links to easily subscribe to the podcast on your favorite platform, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and now Amazon Audible. When it comes to the world of medicine, health, and wellness, there's always so much more to talk about. So if you have questions about this episode or want to recommend a topic for Dr. Cameron, send an email to nicelivingpodcast at gmail.com. Until next Next time, I'm Amy Bowen. I'm Dr. Cameron. And we wish you good health, happiness, and nice living in the meantime.